We have so much to cash up on. Well, it's been a week. It's been a full blazing week. Um, and I can't wait to hear all, all the news that you have to tell me. And I have to tell you news, too. Koa had a cold. Koa gave me a cold. I had a cold. While I was lying on the couch having the a worst cold. cold in the world, my husband did ask me, seven months pregnant, what are you going to do to work out today? <laughs> you and, did tell me that. <laughs> and for whatever you think of me, I'm still married. So I'm putting in the work. I was at this really good dumpling place I told you about. I think it's called East Wind. It's at 16th and Prospect Park West. It's really good. Once we got to go, we got to get some dumplings. They're so yummy. And I was speaking to this guy outside and I was with some girlfriends and they were like, you got to give him your number. And I'm on the prowl. I hate online dating. It feels like, sure, let's take a risk. I was really afraid. I left. I wrote my number down, chickened out, left. We were getting a beer across the street. All of this is outside, folks. Don't relax. All social distancing protocols were had. And I wrote my name and my number, and they were like, you should go back and give it to him. You should go back and give it to him. And I was like, no. And my stomach did that thing where it was like, no, don't do it. Oh, I hate this. But I think, like, I put myself out there, and I was like, hey, it was fun chatting with you. I'm going to give you my number. And he was like, oh, okay. And I gave him my number. Um, and I was like, I'm Carrie, by the way. I felt the need to introduce myself. I forget his name. Might have. Anyway, haven't heard from him. <laughs> never doing it again. He's dead. He's so off. Learned I learned to never take a risk. To never take a risk. And more importantly, I thought, oh, my God, do I have a magical power when I give men my number that they disappear? Like, what a fun superpower. Like... I'm going to go to prisons and give my numbers to criminals who we all hate, and they'll disappear forever. Like, I'm wondering if that's my superpower. You are the next. Like, my power is... X-Man. Yeah, my power... Literally, and my name is (laughs) X-Girl. X-Man. I don't love the whole, you know, we don't need to gender it, but, like, if I give some man my number, we will never hear from him again, which I think is a fun... Tell you who we will hear from, dear readers, is Koa. (laughs) All day long. I'm sorry. I listened to last week's podcast and I was like, you can hear that kid running around above our heads and there's nothing any of us can do about it. I know. Slash, I guess get a carpet. Well, this is, yeah, I think a carpet helps. But I also think like this house is old. It's old. We live in Brooklyn. We live in an apartment situation. Noises are bound to happen. Um, But let's just pretend it's a ghost. Yeah, that's better for the atmosphere. Yeah. You're right. Um, The ghost of Koa. So I have to tell you what happened. I mean, I'm dying to know, but I'm also not looking forward to knowing because it sounds so bad. It's really bad, man. So I went to go pick up Koa from school this week, and I was juggling, like, library books, his coat that he definitely didn't need, um, (laughs) his, like, masks. (laughs) He's supposed to have, like, six masks at a time or something. I had, like, all this shit. In case they pee on him? Yes. Yes. Um, And I dropped my fanny pack outside the library and got home and gave Koa a snack and put Koa down for nap. 
which she didn't nap. So we were like arguing for two hours about the value of sleep. Right. Um, and only like two hours after it happened did I realize I don't have my phone. No. What, where's my phone? Oh, it's no. my fanny pack. I don't have my fanny pack. And so I turn on find my iPhone and we can like see the person moving with it. They're nearby, but they're not nearby with intention to return, which they could have done because whoever had the fanny pack has my New York ID. So they know where <gasps> I live. Oh, yeah. Simply safe. Come at us with some sponsorship. Folks. <laughs> Dag, it's bad. So basically, oh, fuck, we Quinn. saw them like moving around and called the phone and they turned it off and then later they turned it on and Matt was like full detective mode where he was like I'm gonna get on a bike and go over there and I was like and do what like what's your plan what's the plan Stan yeah once you're just like maybe that person maybe that person I was like this sounds like a recipe for disaster yeah like we don't need do we don't need trouble we don't need trouble do you actually think that story ends well? Like that you would go to a corner and there'd only be one person there. So you'd know for sure it was them. And you'd be like, excuse me, you stole my wife's phone. May I please have it? What if he said, excuse me, you found my wife's phone. Maybe that's well, like less I have this hundred dollar bill here for your reward. Yeah, I have a hundred dollar bill for your reward. That would have been a good way to play it, man. I mean, do you have, is your shit backed up to the cloud? Here's the issue. No. So I cried no, a lot, no. mostly because there was just a lot of Photos, baby vids that yeah, I was like, course. oh, man, there's this video of Koa doing this weird thing oh. he used to do. And remember when he was like, da, da, da. And it was that kind of like going back in my memory bank for all the stuff that was on the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's all just the pictures that I gave a shit about. Like, what else is on your phone? An app? Like, there's nothing else that I care right. about. Oh, Quinn. So, you know, $400 later, here we are, got a, you know, new credit card in the mail, a new idea. You know, you you go reorder all your shit. Oddly, the hardest thing to replace are our library cards. Really? That's it? Um, Well, you know, the phone's been a real pain in the ass. Actually, the phone's hilarious. I got this phone and then I had to go to one of those Verizon sort of stores to to get a SIM card. And I'm not... (laughs) manager of the account but they couldn't figure out that that was why they couldn't do it (gasps) so I I think the girl that was uh, helping me was new she was very sweet which was terrible because I really wanted to yell at her but couldn't because she was so nice the whole time Right, 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 right. Uh, but I was so angry because it took two hours so picture I'm in a Verizon store I can't stand up that long at this point. I'm enormous so I'm just sitting on the floor (gasps) in a Verizon store this teenager is on the phone with her oh boss trying to get me a SIM card for hours. Now, the punchline is that hilariously, when they finally got the SIM card into the phone, I've just like this huge sigh of relief. I stand up. I still have one of my, you know, I have a card I can use to pay. I go to use it. She says, oh, I don't know how to use the cards. I don't know how to how to do that. <gasps> I'm like, it's a phone store. And she's like, well, I know how to do it for phones. I don't know how to do it for SIM cards. You have to pay cash. And I'm like, but I don't have any cash. Wait a minute. The store, the Verizon store. A very normal st- Verizon store that could not take my credit card. That feels for like 15, a... For a $15 SIM card. That feels like a con. 
Well, no, it, no, it wasn't a con. It was that she was new and didn't know what she was doing. But she gets on the phone with her boss and her boss says, well, if you can't figure out how to do it, you can't, you have to take the SIM card back. And I've been there two hours. So I was like, so I'm like, look, I will go find cash. And I go to leave the store and the teenager had to be like, "Um, miss, you can't take your phone with you because it has our SIM card in it. So you have to leave your phone here. So I'm like, sure, sure. Like, give her my phone. Realize the nearest ATM that I, I have like very limited ways of withdrawing money right now because of well, my... Well, your cards were all The nearest gone. ATM that I can use is back by my house, a 20-minute walk. It's like a half mile. Oh, so I had to walk back home, get cash, walk back to the Verizon store. Of course, because it's an ATM, I walk in and I go, here. And it's, I'm exhausted at this point. It's now... I've been in the store since 4. It's like 7 right now. I walk You're in, hungry I hand too. her $20. And she says to me... She doesn't have change. I can't make change. <laughs> it was like... I, I, at that point, it's just... What do you even... Hearing that story, like, you know I have such exhaustion for you. I was like, so grouchy and tired. I can't imagine. Did you cry about the pictures after that or before that? I had cried before that. I I cried right when I lost the phone. I had like a, a very pregnant person meltdown. Well, I, um, I know that feeling of losing something. Like I know that fucking feeling. Like that gut being like, where is it? And I don't know what it is about losing shit, but like a phone we always have on us. It's like very close with it. But the minute you lose it, you're like, I haven't had it for two hours because of a very normal reason. That's yes. what's so scary is you're like, there's no way I could have lasted no, this no long. Way, and there's no way I dropped my whole purse. Like, it's been a long time since I've done something like that. And the problem is after you do something like that, your inability, well, I can't speak to what everyone goes through, but my inability to let it go yeah. and to move on and just start replacing the stuff and just go, let's like erase that this happened by moving forward. And instead, like the obsession of if I'd only and know, why didn't I, I strap it to the and why was I and I why know. did I sit outside the library? To re- it was a cute fanny pack for totally. Um, I lost a pair of sunglasses when I went hiking and I had to drop it. But I still think about them. And that's just stupid sunglasses. So I've I've let it go now because I have to you emotionally have to, yeah. to survive. Right, and you're a survivor. Sorry you're for the not drama, y'all, but I'm a survivor. I'm gonna make it. Matt, on the other hand, is like on the phone with the police every few hours, letting but them that know. That is actually why you guys are a perfect match. That is what I want. Really, I that's want, why. Well, there's a lot of reasons, but but that that is what I want in a partner. I want someone who's like, let me pick up where you can't go. And I think I'm he just it. wants to be a detective. I'm into that. So he's like on the phone with the police being like, I found out we can get footage from outside the library, but we need um, the police to ask for the footage. Are you sure you dropped it? No, but I I like to think I dropped it. I don't like to think I've never been robbed in New York. I've never had someone physically take something off my Everybody? person. Ugh. That's a knock on wood. I know, folks. right? I know. I mean, here's the thing that sucks. I've had stuff stolen from me, but I yeah. was party to it in the way where I set it down or did something stupid. I've never had someone take 
a purse off of my body. Right. Uh, that's my sob story. And Quinn, I'm so sorry. You know, I really am. It was just am. a hard week because it was like having a cold and then losing my, having to do all those annoying things where you're just replacing little objects from your life. I honestly. We've all been there. So the truth is I went first last time. I went first. I have. Oh, you're right. I am right. And, I, and you know for what? For once. For one fucking time, I'm right. Mark Give the calendar, credit folks. Credit. Carrie was right. Carrie was right. And I think it's important to note and to just move forward into the world knowing that that's a truth. Carrie is right. Was right. Sure. Yeah. Tomato. Tense. Potato. It's in the past. Uh, tomato marinara. <laughs> <laughs> tomato <laughs> paternal. <laughs> I, that means I go first. What? I, I'm no mathematician, but um, great can't wait to tell you the story of the house of terror <gasps> spooky hey it's by the time this comes out this ep comes out it's happy halloween month <laughs> <laughs> welcome to october welcome welcome to october you it's got so fun scary mail we got a scary mail with a pumpkin lot and pumpkin ales <laughs> sure. lots of people just stopped listening so uh <laughs> See you in November uh, when we get less annoying. Just kidding. That's not going to happen. We're going to be talking gather in Thanksgiving. I'm telling you, folks. <laughs> this is most famously done as of recent. You know, they did like a reboot of Unsolved Mysteries. Who's the host of the... of? No, no, none. It's not like that. It's just like stories. You, It, it isn't what it was, but it's something else. And it's also good. <laughs> It isn't what it was, but it's something else, but it's also good. That, folks, is a pull quote for Netflix's <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries. You're welcome. It isn't um, what it was. It's a different thing. Well, Still look, good. I like it. Uh, I think probably a lot of the people that listen to this podcast like it. It's 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 great. So, But it is different than it was. <laughs> God, it's going to be this kind of show. So eloquent today. Um, we both are. We so both are. It. Was one of the episodes they did okay, good. that I'm I happened excited. to watch, and then I did some more research. I looked at MamaMia.com. Not the musical. <laughs> no, surprisingly, Surpri- you would think that they had bought that, but they didn't. And That's then, so sad that they didn't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they blew it. Really blew it. Um, Marie Claire, of course. Oh, we love a magazine spread. Yes, and Wikipedia, obviously. <laughs> Don't be a fool. Of course, Wikipedia is cited. This story takes place in Nantes, France. I looked up how to say it. It's spelled N-A-N-T-E-S. I would have been like Nantes. Nantes, France. Nantes. Nantes. But it's like a nice, it's like a safe, nice city. Um, And there's this guy that lives there, the Count, Xavier Dupont Le... Oh, fuck. I didn't look up how to pronounce his name. How do you spell it? They probably said it a hundred times, but they were French, so they said it right, so it never got in my head. Right. It's Xavier Dupont de Lyonnais. Okay, it's L-I-G-O-N-N-E-S. How the fuck am I going to say that? Lignon. Lumiere. All right, we're going to call him Xavier. Lumiere. Call him Lumiere. (laughs) His name was Lumiere. Like Madonna, though. One name. And he's a candelabra. We have to stop bringing Disney into this show. Do we? Do we? Yes, we got to cease and desist. (laughs) (laughs) 
They don't have my address. They only have yours. Um, okay, so Count Xavier, we're going to call him, lives in this town with his wife, Agnes, and they have four kids. I believe it's pronounced Anya. <laughs> so Agnes. <laughs> Murder you. So they met really young. She was super into him, and they started dating, and then he was like... I kind of need to go have some man ventures. Rolling my eyes. Right. But so they broke up for a little. He went traveling. He came back. When he came back, she had gotten pregnant by someone else who was no longer in the picture. And he was like, it's fine. Let's be together. Let's get married. And I will also adopt your son and give him my name, which is a pretty big deal because he's a count. A count. Yeah. Wow, slim pickings abroad, it sounds like. He traveled. It was like, oh, no, no, she's no, no, really, no, no. they're both hotties. Like, it okay. makes sense. But, um, oh, Agnes. I mean, I don't know any counts other than the count. Of Count of Fluane de Lesseps? I know Count de Lesseps. No, I'm talking the count. <laughs> As in from Sesame Street? And I don't think he has children. I mean, maybe he has he doesn't. two. Ah, ah, ah. Or three. Ah, ah, ah. But we don't know. We don't know his life. We don't know his life. We just know he likes to count, which feels too on the nose. (laughs) Anyway, this kid's name is Arthur. And then they end up having three of their own biological kids together, Thomas, Anne, and Benoit. So um, they seem like a really cute family. They live in this cute house together. They go on vacations. Um, The dad's a businessman. Did you say what year this was? It's like 2011. Oh, recent. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I've, they're, they're less like, okay, that they're makes sense. They're not old-timey at all. Thank you. So the oldest is Arthur. He's trying to get his technical diploma at a private college. He's 20. And then there's Thomas, who's super passionate about music, and he studies at the Catholic University um, of the West in Angiers, and he's 18. Then Anne is the single daughter she's 16 not that it matters but she's soups pretty and she's into science so pretty and smart um and then benoit's the baby he's 13 and he's an altar boy and a cutie they're a well-liked family then sometime in april a neighbor notices like that she hasn't seen the family around mm-hmm. which is weird because the wife's so many car is there but the shutters on the house are closed. And what she said was weird about that. She kind of dwells on it and she's like, they would go on vacation and they wouldn't close the shutters. Like, I have lived on this block with them for years. And they don't a... close the shutters. Right. This is the only time I've seen them closed. And then a note appears on the post office box that says, like, not to deliver mail there or something. Hmm. So some other neighbors are like, we did hear the dogs. They have two labs. Jules and Leon. And they had heard the labs howling a few nights prior, but then it stopped. And they don't see the dogs anywhere. So they're like, hey, where'd these guys go? They call the police and are like, you should maybe go check this out. And the police go and are like, nothing's that weird in the house. Like they end up knocking, no one answers, and they do go in. There's some beds that are unmade, not like unmade, like stripped. So it's like this family just up and left out of nowhere. It kind of feels that way. Okay. They don't really notice anything, but they do keep getting calls and they keep going back. One thing they notice on a subsequent visit is that there's picture frames on the wall and they're empty. So like someone took 
family pictures out of the picture frames, which is a weird thing to do. Yeah. It feels like you're packing to be away if you do that, right? Well, if you're pack, it feels like you're packing to leave forever. Like, right. You're right. They dig deeper. The lease on the house has been terminated. The family's bank accounts have been closed. The children's school had received a final payment settlement. Agnes's employer had been told that she um, had gastroenteritis and that she and then later was like, oh, I'm not coming back. I'm moving to Australia. And the house is just like kind of empty. So they're like, what's going on? So Agnes's family is creeped and they keep telling the authorities, you have to go back. And they keep going back and they keep going back and they don't find anything till like the sixth or seventh time they go. And then they look under the patio, like the terrace. And this is on the 21st of April. They start to dig and they find bodies (gasps) in bags the bodies are wrapped in the blankets and the duvets from the beds. And they find all <gasps> four of the kids. But Thomas is sort of buried separately from the other three kids. The second oldest son. Whoa. And the moms with the kids. They even find the two Labradors dead together in a bag. But the weirdest thing about these sort of makeshift graves is that they've been buried with crosses and things like that and candles as though whoever buried them was trying to give them some sort of proper is the father there catholic burial the father is not there each of the bodies has two bullets to the head from a 22 rifle oh my god What they know after they start to look into testing the bodies and stuff is that all the kids had sleeping pills in their system, so were likely drugged and asleep when they were shot. Mm -hmm. The mom doesn't have sleeping pills in her system, but she slept with a sleep apnea machine, which makes you sleep deeper. Mm -hmm. And the sleep apnea machine went off at like 3 a.m. one night. They can like track when it went off. Which would be a weird time for it to click off, obviously. They also find quicklime on the bodies, like residue of quicklime, which would have been used to make them decompose quicker. Now, all the neighbors are like... I can't believe they didn't find anything until then. That's wild. Why would you... If you're performing a wellness check, I just don't think you go dig... A hole under no, someone's porch. No, I can't believe no one smelled it. I just can't believe there was no blood anywhere. Like, like everything. No ju- blood is the big thing. That's All those crazy. bullet holes in yeah. people's heads and there's or no blood. they don't blood. smell bleach or they don't smell. Like, that is wild. The blood is pretty crazy. So, of course, they're like, where's Xavier? Yeah. But all the townspeople... <laughs> the townspeople... What well, is France? It's a provincial it's, yeah, town. That's fair. Um, All of them are like... No way Xavier had anything to do with this. We saw him. He was a super loving father, like really physical with his kids, really loving with his kids, really good dad, really interested in their lives, really involved. And just beyond that, he had really bad back problems. So there's no way he could like saw this terrace. It's not like 
he could have stood under it. It's like he would have been crawling slash digging, dealing with bodies. There's no way they feel like he could have. Okay, I can't believe that. Like, under, that is insane. Upon interviewing more and more people, they realize, though, that the superficial picture of this family where life is great, as usual, life's not great. Like, it's a little bit, it's a shiny veneer. Um, And underneath, it's just a shitty Verizon store of pain. Because the dad is actually struggling. Like, the businesses aren't going well. They're in financial trouble. All these kids, though, are going to private schools and stuff. And they're living kind of in, you know, maybe outside their means. Right. Supposedly, Agnes spoke in an online forum, although it was anonymous. And she said that she was unhappy in her marriage and that her husband was old-fashioned. And she said, the father is the head. He gives an order. We execute it without seeing to question or understand, period. So maybe the marriage was not going well. We don't know. We also don't really know if that was Agnes, I don't think. At one point, I read that they tried to relocate to Florida and it didn't work out. You know things are bad. Things are grim. If you're like, let's try to go to Florida. They don't know that the food and wine is not going to be nearly as good as it is in France. No, but in for rude maybe Xavier's the kind of guy that belongs in Florida. No offense to our Floridian listeners, but he might be. <laughs> anyway, they're broke. He's losing money. He projects to friends in the public that all his companies are doing well. They aren't. He's really vain guy and he's proud and he doesn't want other people to know this and he really doesn't want his kids to know about it. He doesn't want to be embarrassed. Um, so he's looking for a way out for sure. We do know that. Like a way out of these problems. Three months before all this, his dad dies and has a heart attack and he goes to his dad's apartment to clear it out and he's kind of like, oh, I want to find his... Uh, family ring. I mean, they're like counts. Yeah. Um, so he's looking for his cool ring or whatever. And he's like, I wonder if he left me any money. And it's like, he didn't. Your dad, it turns out, was also poor. What's with all these poor counts? Well, because no one knows how to manage fucking money. And like all they're like, it's a title. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have property to go with it. You know, like people can squander their riches. Right wild so so papa was broke his dad died like in poverty basically and xavier does inherit from his father when he passes his 22 rifle (gasps) oh no there's also a lot of people that allege he had a mistress in paris and the french media published an email that he supposedly sent to his mistress where he said that he was ruined and at rock bottom and that he couldn't sleep because he was having all these morbid thoughts. He said, most of the time, I am not in a dream, but in a nightmare, and I can't escape except, of course, by doing something radical and final. That's not great if he did something. Yeah, but it's a tabloid. Like, I'm really, I'm, I mean. Right. So what I'm going to do is give you a timeline. February 2nd, like two months before this happens, Xavier gets a firearms license and he starts going to a shooting range, but he like brings his kids and stuff. But he asks a trainer there, he's like, hey, how would you buy a silencer? And in March on the 12th, he buys a silencer. There's also a sales receipt from a DIY store that they find in the 
family's house. And it was dated late March. And it lists several purchases, including large trash can liners and adhesive paving slabs, which would have been used, I guess, in the the burial. And on April 2nd, Xavier buys four bags of lime from different shops. On the 3rd, a neighbor says they see Agnes for the last time they saw her. And at night, that night, Xavier leaves a message on his sister's answering machine. It says, we spent our Sunday evening in the cinema together, then in a restaurant, and we've just got back. I'm calling to ask if it's too late to speak to you on the phone. And now I see it's gone to voicemail, but I was surprised you spoke to me about Bertram. Who's getting ready for his flight? But I thought he'd only just arrived, so I was a bit surprised. Anyway, sending you my love. If it's not too late, call me back or send me a text and I'll call you. Okay, I'm going to put the kids to bed. Say hi to everyone. See you soon. All in French. Uh, yes, he only speaks the French, <laughs> um, which I was going to read all that to you in French. But we just, yeah, it would. Our re- dear listeners, dear readers wouldn't understand it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was looking at it in French, you guys. Yeah, you were just translating just instant, it. Insta-translating. Yeah. You're impressive um, but they way. released that message publicly. Do they think it was like possible alibi cover up? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird because I guess he sounded super normal. On the 4th, Anne and Benoit do not show up at school. Xavier speaks to his sister On the and fourth. says everything's normal. Yeah. And oh, wow. he also goes out to dinner that night with his son, Thomas. Remember Thomas's body? Right. Was buried further off separately. So let's talk about that. On April 5th, a friend of Thomas's who studied music with him said that Thomas spent the afternoon with him and that he had planned to spend the night. But that Xavier called and was like, you have to come back to Nantes. Your mom's been in a cycling accident. So he ate with his friend, got on a uh, train, went home at night. And the next day, his friend tried to reach him and only got, like, weird little brief text messages that were like, I'm not coming. I'm sick and stuff like that. I'm not coming to class. Two days after Thomas leaves, friend gets a text from him that says, I'm out of battery. My dad's looking for a new charger for me. So presumably he didn't send those texts. No. April 6th, Arthur's girlfriend the eldest is freaked because she hasn't heard from him. She's like, am I being ghosted? <sighs> well, I guess pun. you can't use that that, that pun way. That's bad. That's bad. Um, she knocks on the door of the family home and said there was light, but th- she, that the dogs didn't bark when she knocked, which was weird. Anyway, a lot of the neighbors will say that they saw Agnes up until the 7th, which is hard to say. Like, it's hard to I say if they're misremembering. Stuff we know eyewitness stuff is super bizarre and difficult to track. Yeah, it is. It's tricky. But they also, they don't know the exact date of death. Because right. the bodies had decomposed. Lie, so, lie, and yeah. so, but what is suspected is that Thomas was not killed at the same time as the rest of his family. Mm-hmm. That they were killed earlier. That he got the call to come home because of his mom being in the accident. And at that night... He was killed by his father the same way, drugged and then shot. But he would have died a night or two after the family, which another thing they kind of point out in the television show is that perhaps Xavier was had the hardest time killing him because he would have been he would have carried the nobility in the family name. 
because he's the eldest biological son. Oh, dark. So there's like a question of if it was because he was at school that he was killed later, if there was some hesitation. We don't know. On April the 11th, Anne and Benoit's school get a letter from Xavier that says they're leaving. They're going to move to Australia. There's some urgent professional changes happening. And then a letter shows up to their family and friends. And it's from Xavier. And it explains to family and friends that Xavier is, in fact, a spy for the U.S., that he's part of the DEA, that he's been in charge of these, like, drug busts, and that he has to go to the U.S. to infiltrate an international drug ring. But because of the danger, his family's basically entering witness protection. So they're not, you're not going to be able to contact us. We're not going to be able to contact you except by letter. Like, we can't email, we can't call. That's why you're not going to hear from any of us. And so it's please definitely Xavier. keep this a secret. The letter it's says. definitely Xavier. Yes. It's definitely Xavier. Holy shit. So by the time the bodies are found, though, it's the 21st. That means if we're right about, about when he killed them, he has almost a three-week head start on the cops. Because they've been dead so long. What is super creepy is they also think that... When they start to track his timeline, he hung out at the house for like a week. But maybe maybe he was cleaning blood that whole time. Because that's crazy that they didn't find any. Wow. So on the 22nd, like right after they find the bodies, yeah, they track his car. They find his car in a parking lot of a hotel. And they start to reconstruct Xavier's timeline. And he basically left... A week after the murders. God, can you imagine just being in that house for a week, though? That your family home? I can't imagine any of this. <laughs> I can't even but I'm imagine. Like, I guess he doesn't believe in ghosts. I guess he just, well, Murder he has no everybody heart. And then he hang murdered out his there. children and his, his wife. His children. His that kids. kills me. But the weird thing is when he leaves, he's not like trying to be super hidden. Right. Like, his car is recorded by a speed camera. He goes to a restaurant and uses his credit card. He goes and withdraws cash. He's Almost spending like he the night at hotels. He wanted to get caught a little bit. He was being a little... Wow. Wow. Yeah. He goes... He starts driving south. He goes through Toulouse. Have you been to Toulouse? No. It's so great. And when I went there, I was pregnant with Koa. And I went into a cheese shop. And they had a sample of every kind of cheese they sold. And I didn't think twice. I just started shoveling free cheese into my mouth. And then we walked out of the cheese store and I burst into tears because I was so scared of... Killing your baby. Killing your baby. <laughs> uh, I feel like their unpasteurized cheese, though, is like, is actually... All I know is it was delicious and he's alive. So was it worth it? Maybe. <laughs> hard maybe. <sighs> hard maybe. I'm going to have to give you a hard maybe on that. <laughs> So he's casually gallivanting wow. around town, and they're like, oh, why would he be so casual? He's definitely going to do murder suey, because that's why he wouldn't care, because he's not actually trying to get away. He's actually doing, like, a weird tour of his life, because he goes to the town his kids were born in. He goes to the town where he met Agnes Rockbrunser Argens. Yes, I'm sure that's how you pronounce it. He spends the night at the hotel. They get CCTV footage of him. And he crosses a parking lot carrying some kind of bag. 
and a long object, probably, they think, the rifle. And he looks into the camera, kind of, and just walks away and goes into nature. And they're like, oh, he's going to kill himself because this area has cliffs and mountains and kind of all these places you could go right. and shoot yourself in, in nature like God intended. <laughs> um, so they break the area. <laughs> they break That's the area so into zones. <laughs> um, and they get out these search parties and they're like, let's look for this guy. They look for two fucking months. In caves, in holes. They are looking everywhere. High, low, near, far. Wherever he is. I didn't rhyme. They find nothing. (laughs) And the thing is, one of the women being interviewed in Unsolved Mysteries is like, yeah, 98% of familicide cases end in suicide. What about the other 2%? There is a percentage that don't. He bought time with... The delayed discovery of the bodies and the weird letter. Was he buying time to arrange something we're not aware of that has to do with getting out of there? Some kind of other transportation. Going to the U.S. Ditch, like, track me to here, and that's very deliberate. Right. And now I'm going to ditch these things and beat it. And then the fact that they had so decided he had killed himself. They spend two months looking in this nature for him, if he did get away, that's two more months of, I don't know, getting farther away or burying it even more somehow. Whoa. Yeah, he is close to the border of Italy. He's close to the border of Croatia. They don't know if he crossed it. He is gone guy. His friend is like, I don't know how he fucking sleeps at night. I don't know how he does normal things like brushes his teeth when he looks in the mirror to know what he did. Um, well, also, I'm sure all of his friends were like, there's no way they did the whole thing where it's just like, there's no way this guy did that. There's no way. Right. One of the detectives in the interview was like, it just sucks because he's like super normal looking. He's just like really physically blah. There's nothing interesting about him. And I just thought that was such a funny way to describe he's someone. He's type. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, they're just like, it's going to be hard to be like, look for this guy because it's so... There's no defining feature. Holy Um, shit. And in 2015, a French journalist gets a photo sent to her of Xavier's kids and written on the back, it says, I'm still alive from then until this hour. But they didn't get DNA or fingerprints from it, so they don't know if it's real. That feels like maybe copycat vibes. Yeah, high drama. I don't know why he would do that. Yeah, this guy is not, he's not taunting police. Like, he just went into the void. Do you know what I mean? But people are like, did he have an accomplice? Because we never answered that question of how he physically dealt with those bodies and burying them. You can do crazy feet. He clearly is, was driven, I, I think, back pain. Like, how bad was his back injury? Like, I bet he probably... He fucking prepped that shit before they yeah. died. I wouldn't be surprised if he fucking made his kids dig something under in the backyard anyway. Oh, interesting. Like, I made them dig it? That's really dark, dude. I mean, maybe. Well, so since that episode aired, I guess, like, the most interesting tips they've gotten are there was somebody in Chicago, and they heard a guy talking French and sent in a photo, and he really looked like Xavier. But it's just a stranger, you know, so they it's don't know. It's not Florida, though. It's not Florida, which is where he wants to be and this where he should be. This guy's in Florida. Be. If he's going anywhere, it's Florida. 
on the 9th of January, 2018, the police raided a monastery and like arrested a monk that was not him, but totally looked like him. Um, on October 11th, 2019, which I think is the most, yeah, it's the most recent thing that's happened. A man was arrested at the Glasgow airport in Scotland, flying from Paris uh, into Scotland. And uh, they got an Interpol alert that it looked like him Whoa. or that it was um they were traveling with a stolen french passport this person so they were like oh it's xavier but it was not but that was less than a year ago so they're they're still working like all the time on this um so if you know anything if you know where xavier is the smartest thing you can do is just contact truly darkly creepily <laughs> at gmail we have the, both no, the, the smartest thing you can do the resources the smartest to deal thing you do is sign up for patreon <laughs> we'll get back to you. We'll use all funds to hunt for Xavier. No, we won't, you guys. What an asshole, that guy. Like, what a monster. Like, I don't understand monsters. I don't get it. It's a real puzzler. Fucking A. But, so you see it is unsolved in the sense that it's solved. He fucking did it. But dead or alive, we don't know. Can I say I hope he's dead? You can say that. All right, I'm going to say it. I hope he's dead. She said it. She meant it. it. folks. I meant it. Thanks for sharing that creepy story. You're welcome. Was it true and dark? Yeah, it was. Even a little creepy. (laughs) Um, I'm doing a story. This week and next week are sort of related. Um, Oh, two-parter? Both of them came to me from your downstairs neighbor. (gasps) Oh! Okay, I feel like I've been talking about them enough on the podcast that at this point I just need to let the dear readers know. <laughs> I have two what I will call vigs living downstairs. Vigs? V-I-G, very important gays. <laughs> I made it up. Do you like it? It's cool, right? Will they like it? Probably. Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Uh, believe me, I'll hear about it if well, they don't. Because t- I told um, Adam, was like, let me know when this comes out. I was like, all right, I'll let you know. Adam grew up on the north side of Chicago. I grew up on the southwest side. So anyway, so Laura, it's the story of Lori Dan. I got this information from Wikipedia, People Magazine. Fuck, I love People Magazine. Murderpedia, WGN-TV, um, ABC Chicago, Chicago Tribune, all the Chicago places. So this all takes place circa the 80s. Um, like I said, it's on the north side of Chicago, Um in Glencoe, Winnetka area. She went to New Trier. If you don't know New Trier, where I'm from, which is a southwest suburb of Chicago, New Trier was always like the bougie school. New Trier was like the rich kids went there. Actually, the school in Mean Girls is based on New Trier. Oh. I think like the author of Queen Bees and Wannabes, which turned into Mean Girls, they like the study was done in New Trier. Got it. So I'm a, there. You're there. So so this girl, Lori, she goes to Nutria. She graduates. She was always kind of like a loner, isolated, just like a little bit off. She was really shy. She didn't make great grades. But in one of the articles, it was like she went to Drake University. Then she went to University of Arizona. Then she went to University of Wisconsin. And then Northwestern. And then she dropped out. She never. So she went to like a shit ton of colleges. I just thought that was weird. So many colleges, so little time. So she meets this guy in 1982 named Russell Dan. She gets his name. Um, Russell Dan, they get married. Her behavior starts to get a little funky. They notice a lot of OCD and really strange behavior, like leaving trash around the house. 
I don't know why that's weird, but it gets it definitely heightens later on in her life. Um, that's opposite of OCD. But she also, I guess, cleaned her hand obsessively at some point. Like the OCD, OCD manifests in different ways. Her, I'm going to say her mental illness takes some weird turns throughout her life. So I can understand the OCD and this like same leaving trash around the house and just odd behavior. Like something, something was clearly off with this woman. Right. And her family's like, and his family's like, oh, something's wrong. So the two of them, like, she had started seeing a psychiatrist. She blamed her childhood, but there's no other information about her childhood. In most articles, she was come from, she came from privilege. It was, like, a very well, it was an affluent area, and she, quote, came from privilege. Um, the two of them separated three years later in 1985, and it was very nasty. Like, it was not a good situation. She claims that he was abusive. The police were called bunches of times. There was a lot of harassing phone calls to his family, to his sister, so her sister-in-law. She denies all of it. Then in 1986, so a year later, they're still in divorce proceedings, and it's just like, again, accusations are being thrown back and forth. She accuses Russell of breaking in and vandalizing her parents' home where she was living at the time. So she gets a gun for self-defense. She gets one gun for self-defense. And even the police were like, this woman, like, we've had a lot of complaints about her. They try to reason with her family. And they're like, I just don't think this woman should have a gun. But, hey, Second Amendment, they can't take it away. So she has a fucking gun. She gets a gun around April. In August, she reaches out to an ex-boyfriend who is a doctor, I believe, in Arizona. And... She's like, I have your baby. I'm preg- I have I have a child of your child. And he's like, that's not fucking true. He ignores her. He's remarried. She's calling him. She's harassing now her ex-boyfriend, not her ex-husband. So much so that he's like, this is crazy. She then calls the hospital that he works at, and she claims that he raped her in the ER. What? Like, she's making crazy accusations at people and her exes. Then in September, a month later... Russell is sleeping, and somehow someone came in and stabbed him with an ice pick. What? He does not know who it is. So he's obviously like, it's for sure this Lori. It's for sure my ex-wife, Lori. But there's... That is insane that he doesn't know who stabbed... So someone runs in and stabs him with an ice pick and with an runs ice pick back and out. He, and just runs away. And he's like, he was asleep. I guess it's like an ice pick is tiny, right? So stabs with an ice pick, runs away... Is it Lori? We don't know. And they're like, we're not going to press charges because the the medical records were like, it looks self-inflicted. So did he stab himself to frame her? I don't know. It just seems That's weird. That's going an extra mile. That's fucking going there. That's committing, Russell. And you should be committed if you committed to also, that. Also, they did our favorite thing. He took a polygraph test and he failed. But again, it's all I bullshit. I don't care about that. So Russell, his family, they keep getting oh, calls. Oh, we're throwing a baby shower for our friend. That should be the activity. Everyone takes a polygraph test. Because <laughs> it's just an activity for fun. I really like that all idea. All right, we'll try to see where we can get one. So Russell and his family are keep getting calls. His sister finally had Lori arrested for calling for harassing calls, but there's no proof. The divorce is finally finalized in April of 87. So this is like two years of back and forth horribleness. At one point, Lori accused Russell of rape, but there's no physical evidence, but she passed two polygraph tests. I'm always apprehensive to be like, she was a liar, she was a liar, because I just would love to believe that people are honest. 
But the two of them had crazy amounts of back and forth, and it it just was a really fucking bad situation. So their divorce is finalized in April. A month later, she accuses Russell of trying to burn down her house. Lori's parents believe her the whole time, like all of this, and they're defending her. But she's like, there there was like an incendiary device in her house, and she was like, it was Russell. Mm. And this is after their divorce. Like, what is the fucking point? So finally like shit just like hits kind of crazy and so she has this bright idea of becoming a babysitter so she would watch certain families some families really liked her other families were like it was really weird we had thousands of dollars of damage like thousands of dollars of food was stolen weirdly or our furniture was all slashed open very weird stuff and half of the time her dad was like let me pay you so no, I'll I'll pay the charges so no um, charges are against Lori. But her family is trying to get her to a psychiatrist and work on her OCD. So they end up moving her to Madison to work with a psychiatrist, but also to like maybe take classes, although she never does. In 87, it got so bad where her OCD was so bad that she was known as the elevator woman where she would ride an elevator up and down for hours and she refused to touch metal. So the OCD obviously is alive and well. And so she wears rubber gloves and she won't touch metal. She won't touch buttons. She also had meat rot in her sofa cushions. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever it's heard. horrible. She claims that fall that she's receiving letters from Russell and that he sexually assaulted her. At this point, she buys another gun because Second Amendment, baby. But what does she need? A gun collection? I guess. All right. I fucking guess. Try glass um, animals, Lori. Seriously, like, well, she's looking for self-defense. She's clearly a paranoid person. She clearly thinks Russell's after her. I think she's after him. It's an issue. She starts taking drugs to help deal with her OCD and mood swings and some of her behavior. What she would do, she would change channels repeatedly. She There was good and bad numbers. She, I think she had, was bulimic. In December, what does she do? <laughs> She buys another gun. Nailed it. So in 1988, she stops seeing her therapist. And at this point, she starts stealing books from the library about poison. She goes and she takes diluted arsenic from a lab. She's How does she get Wait, You said that a little too cash. <laughs> because all of the articles were like, yeah, she took... She took arsenic from a lab. She took arsenic from What's a lab. What's this bitch doing in a lab? Who well, let her in the lab? I'll tell you. She had a bunch of clothes and wigs that she stole for disguises. She was arrested once for shoplifting, but clearly it was going well. Like, she's a white lady, too. Like, she can fucking enter worlds. She can go into labs. She can go into fucking labs and take arsenic. Her family is like, and her therapists get together, and they're like, we think you should check yourself into the hospital. You know, like, this is not healthy behavior. And she's like, nah, <laughs> hard pass. I'm good. Bye. So she keeps making these phone calls. She's still in Madison. She's now calling old families she babysat for. She's calling her former in-laws. And then there's death threats. And then the ex-boyfriend and his wife are still getting calls. In May 1988, she sends a letter accusing her ex of sexual assault again. Phone calls get so bad and they're across state lines, right? She's calling Arizona from Wisconsin. So the FBI get involved. So they prepare to indict her. I can't believe the FBI got involved. Well, she's threatening them. I mean, it's across state lines. I guess that's what happens. And her ex-boyfriend in Arizona is like, you know what? 
I don't feel comfortable charging her because if she gets out on fucking bail, she'll actually make good on these death threats. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not risking this situation. I want to wait till Illinois gets some more charges. Things in Madison got to kind of a fever pitch when a janitor found her in a fetal position in a garbage can in a trash room. And then her family was like, okay, we need to bring you back home. (laughs) Yeah, you think? (laughs) Like, shit is fucking spiraling (laughs) in Lori Dan's life. So she gets back to Glencoe. And what does she do? (laughs) Great. She buys a bunch of Rice Krispie treats and juice boxes. And she starts lacing them with arsenic. Dag nab it. I don't like where that's going. We don't love it because who eats Rice Krispie treats Fucking juice boxes. Me. Us. (laughs) Fucking us. Us. So she starts mailing these little treats to acquaintances, past families she babysat for, her psychiatrist, Russell. And they all, like, include a note. And on May 20th, she delivers the snack and juices to more people. She hand delivers. She has, it's like. What does the note say? Snap, crackle, die. (laughs) Well, I don't think she's telling them. Okay. But oh. she okay. also delivers it to Alpha Tau Omega, Psi Epsilon, Kappa Sigma Fraternity, the Leveron Hall at Northwestern. When she poisoned them, the drinks started leaking. So people didn't have them because they're like, these are weird. Or like they like ate and they're like, this tastes funny. And so no one got sick from it. Like it was. She's not good at what she's. She's trying not to good at good what at. she's doing. This family she babysat for had told her that she, they were leaving. Mm-hmm. This is May twentieth. They told her they're they're leaving, and she's like, "Well, can I take the two youngest ones out for an outing before you leave?" And they, I guess, still trusted her. So they were like, "Okay, yeah, come over." She goes, picks up the boys at nine a.m. Instead of taking them to an outing. She takes them to Ravinia Elementary School in Highland Park. So she thought her sister-in-law's kid went to that school. She walks in with the two kids in the car, and she puts, like, a little bomb, like a little firebomb moment in the middle of the hall, leaves. Two kids find it. A teacher comes out, extinguishes it. Then she goes to a local daycare center And she has a can of gasoline with her, with the two kids in the car. She walks up. Someone from the staff sees it and chases her out so she doesn't get in that daycare. So then what she does is she brings the kids back to their house. Their mom is downstairs doing laundry. She gives the kids arsenic lace milk, as you do. The kids try it, and they're like, ew, this tastes bad. They spit it out. She then is like, go downstairs. I have to leave. Go downstairs. Your mom's doing laundry. The kids go downstairs. The mom's down there. All of a sudden, there's a fire upstairs, and the kids and the mom are trapped in the basement. No fucking way. They find a window where, like, they bust it out. The kids are out. That family is saved. Oh, thank fucking God. The, so she was with them that whole time. She was with them that she whole time. She could have killed them, and that mom is, that mom has feelings. A lot of moms have a lot of feelings in this story, unfortunately. You're not wrong. Okay. When the fire department comes and is managing this fire, and then she drove to Hubbard Woods Elementary School, and she had on her her three guns. So she goes into this second grade room, and there was a substitute teacher there at the time. And so the substitute teacher was like, oh, this is like a young woman. She's, she's 30. She's like, oh, it's a teaching assistant. She's coming in to test it out. So this girl comes in, Lori, comes in and sits 
And she's like pulls pulls up a chair. The kids are doing bike safety day and they're all really excited. So she goes and like the teacher gives her the test that the kids are going to take. Like she just is like welcoming her into their classroom. Lori gets up, leaves. In the hallway, she finds a little boy. She pushes him into the bathroom and she shoots him twice in the chest and stomach. Don't worry, he survives. I feel what? like with kids, we need to talk about who survives or not. I mean, I'm not oh going to, this is not God. a clip finger. These two other boys see what's happening. They come in. She tries to shoot them, but her gun is jammed. One of the guns jammed. So she throws out her gun and the, amu- and the spare ammunition for that gun in the trash. The boys run and they get for help. And there's like, you know, a red alert happening in the school. Code black. Keep in mind, this is in the 80s. Now it's like unfortunately a part of our news cycle she goes into back into the second grade room she goes back she has her gun drawn she's like all the kids in the corner the teacher was like fuck no the teacher starts wrestling her and i think it's a substitute teacher it's a 29 year old substitute teacher insane so she like pops off around right and she had a third gun on her, right? She had that one gun, the other gun she threw out. The teacher was, like, fighting her on it. She pulled out another gun, and then she aimed towards the children. She shot five kids, two boys, two girls, survived but were injured. A young boy named Nick Corwin passed away. He died. No. He was murdered. A little bit about Nick Corwin. I might cry talking about it. He was eight years old, and he died because he was pushing his best friend out of the way. No. Babies. Babies. And some of the um, things that were said after he died, a kid goes, now we're, all, um, now we're not going to be able to play fairly on the playground. And they asked why, and they said, because Nicky knew all the rules and he always reminded us. Like a really, a really sweet kid. This point, the teacher sees this happen, who's fighting, and is like, there's no way. She's quoted as saying, they're shooting a movie and they forgot to tell us. She has she's to like, go into there's a place no, where that's not what's happening. There's not what's happening. I think to see somebody perpetrate violence like that against children, our brain doesn't have room for it that does to not exist compute. as a reality. It does not compute. So Lori leaves... There was this detective, Patty McConnell, who is an undercover detective, and she's two blocks away. So she gets the alert. She comes in. She's like, you can't imagine what she saw. It's horrible. Families are getting called. Parents are freaking out. Schools are being shut down everywhere because they don't know the motive. They don't know where she's at. They don't know what the hell is going on. In fact, this is Adam was like schools all around his neighborhood were shut down because this woman was loose. And so he knows people who were amongst the shutdown students all around that area. Lori gets in her car. There's a funeral procession, so she can't get through. So she has to, like, reverse. She backs up and drives, like, reverse drives to, like, a forest area, to, like, a private dead-end area. She has blood on her shorts. She takes off her shorts. She puts on a trash bag as shorts. 
and her two guns that she has left. She reloads them in the car. So she's in the middle of the woods, like finding some place. In the meantime, the teacher comes. The detective is like, we got to find this woman. Do you remember her face? And the teacher's like, I will never forget her face. So meanwhile, the teacher's out there trying to ID this woman with this detective. They're just driving everywhere trying to find her. Lori runs into this house, the, the Andrews house. It's the Andrew family's home. She walks in. She's bloody. She's pretty disheveled. The mother is there with her, her 20-year-old son, Philip, who's a swimmer who was just at back on break, at back from University of Illinois. She's freaking out. She's holding them hostage. She's saying that she was raped and that she shot her rapist in the struggle. And they kept trying to calm her down and say things like, you know, if it was, like, this is self-defense. You know, you are protected. It's fine. Their father comes home. So it's the three family members. They're trying to, like, get her to calm down. Their mother gives her a pair of pants to put on, right? And while she's doing that, one of the reports I read said that Philip took the one gun away from her, like, you know, took it behind his back. And so she's having the other gun. While she was holding the Andrew family hostage, they were like, call your mom. So she's calling her mom. At one point, she's like, I'm in trouble. I need help. And she's like, you need to come here, mom. And her mom is like, I don't have the car. Like, I can't come. And then her dad comes like trying to like call the family. She keeps calling her mom. It's really fucked up. Somehow, eventually, the mother and father leave. They call the police. So the police are on their way there. At this point, Philip, their son, is in there with her. She refuses to let them leave. She shoots him in the chest. He's like, holy shit, I'm shot. But he still managed to run out and crumble um, where the police and paramedics, paramedics can get him. And he, ha- he survives. House is surrounded. She runs upstairs to the bedroom. They try to get her out. At 7 p.m., they go in and they find that she shot herself and killed herself. Her family is there. It sounds like there were a lot of red flags that her family maybe should have committed her, maybe should have been. I mean, I don't want to blame them. I can't imagine what that's like. I can't either. And when you draw the line and say, I think this person is a danger. Earlier on, her therapist was like, oh, she's not a danger. But clearly these death threats and everything that was happening, clearly something happened. And she snapped and she attacked children. All of the kids, like the psychological trauma, obviously, of any child who goes through that is horrific. One of the boys who was shot, his name is Peter Peter Monroe. He's now a licensed clinical social worker. So he wrote an article on the 30-year anniversary of it back in 2018. And he talked about how he had crazy PTSD, about how the injury from his, like, from the gunshot wound, how it's affected him. He talked about how in college they had that, like, a kidnapping hazing ritual. And he got so freaked out, he, like, went to the second floor balcony and jumped off, like, didn't know what to do. Like, his body just remembers that trauma. He wrote, Your feelings will not destroy you. Avoiding them will. Moving forward is not forgetting the past. What happened to you made this hard to do, but do it anyway. Try to tell your story. Try to understand how what happened to you affected you. 
So the community then, like we see in most school shootings, is they became really active in gun control. The fact that this woman was allowed to legally purchase three guns is fucking insane. There were, the police knew about her. The police tried to interfere and was like, we should take the gun away from her. And her family was like, yeah, we'll try. And then nothing fucking happened. And then she was able to purchase two more guns. Philip Andrew, the son who was shot, who was held hostage at his home, he gave interviews from his hospital bed about gun control, um, and he became very active, including he became the executive director of the Illinois Council Against Handgun Violence. He eventually became a lawyer and an FBI agent. This brought to light a huge debate about whether we should have involuntary commitment to like a psych ward, you know, like should she have been oh, involuntary uh-huh. like, or do we give that liberty away, like what that Oof. conversation is. Obviously, there was a movie in which Valerie Bertinelli played Lori Dan and um, apparently she was advised by Russell Dan, her ex-husband, before wow. she shot the film. Like most of this stuff, I think blame is definitely a really difficult part of the conversation, right? Like whose fault it is. This woman was very sick. Even just going through what happened with her exes and her ex-husband, it's like there clearly was something going on there that needed to be done. Do we blame her family who, you know, when she was doing very strange, erratic things at the houses she babysat, they would just pay them off so no charges would be filed. The family, what was weird, is right after it, they refused to be interviewed, and they refused to share the psych re- her psych records with the police. Only it was when a court order demanded that they did, that they shared it. Right. Which I think is a, a weird move to not just make it forthcoming, but... Family shame, I get it. Like, you know, her privacy, it's still their daughter. I don't even think it was her privacy. I feel like it was probably them not wanting to be, not wanting people like us to say, you should have done something. Right. Some of this blood is on your hands. Well, what's also crazy is after she died, they obviously wanted to search her room for evidence. So the police did a brief search. They left. The family cleaned and removed possible evidence. Like, a lot of criticism was like, you should have made this a crime scene, and no one should have been in this fucking room. But what's crazy, again, is reading this, is it was, like, such a big deal. It happened in this, like, little suburb of Chicago, and it rocked them, obviously. It's like, before Sandy Hook, it was this, right? It just That's sucks so that... sad. It's horrible. What a crazy story. Actually, in... The 2018 March for Our Lives on Washington, there was a poster that said Nikki Corwin, which oh. was the, the victim's name. Nick. I'm, I'm glad his life was honored. So this is the story of uh, Lori Dan. Hi. Sorry to oh. interrupt. You are interrupting. All good. Someone called and found your phone. <gasps> are you fucking kidding me? Did they find the wallet and stuff? No, just the phone. Where? Um, way south of here nowhere near what do you mean found it he's like i swear dude i just found it on the street like and just I want lying there bucks well i asked him what does the message say and it says and he read it to me and it says 100 bucks so i'm like wait so he wants a hundred dollars what's yeah. the note so say? i put a note on the phone that was like i want my baby pictures back if you have this phone just return it to me i'll give you a hundred dollars no questions asked I would, like, make sure that the pictures are on there before you pay and be like, ah. We have to talk about this as a family. Are we recording? 
Yes. For recording, interesting. of course. Yeah. This is my this is my first appearance. Oh my god, happy first time what? first time listener, long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first time <laughs> caller, long first time listener. Caller. I want to talk to you about it and say. I mean, yeah, it's worth it. It 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 was worth it when you made the offer. He's got a whole story about how his phone just got stolen, and he used a hundred bucks. He's the person that stole my phone. You think so? Or he knows the guy, and the guy just gave it to him and was like, you deal with it. I mean, he's also like, I'm at my house. You can come to my house. Well, no. Meet in a public place. No, I'm going to his house. I don't mind. He's like, I'm out front smoking a cigarette on the front porch. Don't go... I wouldn't. No. No. Meet, go, meet in a public. Absolutely like, not. You should meet somewhere. He's like far away. He's not. He's like a 10 minute ride south. I can't. I'm not going to be like, all right, you get on a subway and go somewhere. He said he just found it. He didn't just find it. Okay. He didn't just. That's fine. He's the person that stole it, first of all. Well, then ask, did, did you say, was there any other like IDs or anything with it that you found? Or like a, the he said that's pack? all he found, but it's still in the case. All he did was call the number on the thing. According to him, it's the pictures you wanted. A hundred dollars. Can I come and try to open it and see what's up? And if there's no pictures, and then you can be like, you know what, never mind, and you can leave. Which is why I think you should go to a public. And place. then you can keep the phone. Yeah. Because like he kind of needs a phone, according to his story, which you guys don't believe, but whatever. Don't I, believe it. But it's okay. I want to operate as though it's true, because yeah. I think that's just going to get us further. Agree. In this scenario, I'm going to go off of what he said. The question is, do I show up with a hundred bucks cash? Yeah, what else would you do? Venmo him? I asked, but he's like, my phone was stolen. I was like, they could still do it. Then how are you calling me? Yeah, he's just lying to you. Well, he's calling on his landline. It's like, do I want to give the guy that did this a hundred dollars? Well, that was your plan originally. What do you think I should do? It sounds like you, it sounds like Matt, you want to go and get it. Yeah, I mean, this was like a thing. Yeah, I want Like you were so, so sad about those pictures and videos. Makes sense. I also, I don't want you to meet him in front of his house. I don't know if he has, like, people with him that are like, ha-ha, now we jack you for your $100 cash and we don't give you a phone. Like, this is a person that did this. I don't put that past them. And I don't like you being naive and being like, seems like a reasonable guy. I'll go and have a chat with him in the place he decides we meet. It's like, this is somebody that did this. I don't want you meeting him on his turf. Or I want someone driving you. Okay. Okay. But I'm not cool with you riding up on a bike and being like, I'm just going to see how this plays out. Okay. I I only want you to go if it feels safe. And to me, it doesn't. Okay. Ask if he can meet somewhere. My pictures aren't worth you getting hurt or something. Okay. I could borrow Adam's car, but then I'll be all alone. I think you'd want, I think we want somebody else there. I just want someone with you. Yeah. Ask Nadine. Okay. He just found it. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way you just find and an iPhone. Can I Venmo you? No. That's, 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 I don't want you to know my identity because I stole your stuff. I mean, you, you're just not buying his story at all? Not at all. Okay. Not in the least. He's been trying to figure out the last 24 hours what he can say to get the $100, but not admit he's the guy that took the phone. Matt, you tell me someone stole the phone and then what? Dropped it on the corner? Yeah. <laughs> like tried tried to get anything out of it and was like, no, it's not going to work. Hey, oh, Matt, well. That's really sweet. I love your heart. 
You guys, love your heart. this is so not a weird scenario. Well, here's well, here's it's, okay. I just feel like we're also coming from it from different things. Women are taught from a very young age to fear everything. Everyone's trying to get you. They're trying to rape you. Everybody, you know, like there's there's some conditioning here. I appreciate. I think like I would love to think that his story I found is true. Phones and called the owners. Totally. Have, totally. Has this never happened? And the owners were not like weird for forty eight hours. Someone not you stole it, and now you have it. That's I think like it's if someone's called me, yeah. if it was immediate, it'd be one I'd thing. Buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been forty-eight hours. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's been ha- figuring out how he can sell it and realizes he can't because it's locked. Yeah, I I think Quinn's point is even if we believe his story, even if like his story is one hundred and twenty million percent true, there's still a possibility of danger. Like even if he's being honest, you're going to a new place with money. Like, I think at the end of the day, it's like your safety is paramount to everything else. And that's right. That's where we're coming. That's where we're at. This is insane. This is this is a real because Quinn had told us a story on the podcast. This is a real fucking <laughs> turn of events know, for right? sure. Oh, Matt. So skinny. Look Whoa. at him get through that door. Wow. <laughs> to be continued. Quinn's face is insane. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. What's going on? He says, Gum Cooper just passed. I don't want any bad sins. Um, so I told him we'd pay him. That's 100... what he said? Yeah, he's he's Jewish and wanted to say it like four times. He's like, This isn't this isn't there's no ghetto over here. This is nice houses. I'm a young kid. I, I live in a three million dollar house. I didn't do this. I don't want to get in trouble for this. I don't I'm not trying to I look, I'll just throw the phone out. I don't want to get in any trouble for this. I just I just tell your wife, tell your wife, I, I, I don't mean any harm. This is, I'm sorry about that. And I hate that he just, I hate actually that he was like, I'm white. Oh yeah. I'm no, white. He, he's like, he's like casually racist and like, it's a nice neighborhood. It's very quiet over here. Lots of Jews. Like, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not ghetto like over there. Um, <laughs> I know. So a racist thief. Yeah. Great. Yeah. They usually are. So Fucking I told him that. We would pay him $100 if everything's on the phone, and then if that nothing's on the phone, that he can keep the phone. Great. That's is, fair. is that fair? Yes. Okay. I will get cash. I mean, then... is it fair? No. Is Does it, it make sense? Sure. Yeah. I I mean, yeah. So uh, Nadine can give me a ride. Great. Okay. We might get your phone back. 